Folks, thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Album Collection, another one of the podcasts on the Raise On It Podcast Network. This podcast, we're going to tackle John Michael Montgomery's album called Kicking It Up, going all the way back to the year 1994. Kind of a special year, right, Emily? Is it? Eh, not really. Not really. No, no. Only the best year ever. But that's besides the point. Some great things happened in 1994, this album being like the least of them, but we'll still talk about it because it's a pretty good album. Yeah. John, and I think for me, like why I chose this album, I there's something about John Michael Montgomery. He's, I honestly, as a kid and still even today, hearing his voice and Garth Brooks's voice, I kind of get him confused if I'm being... Dude, same. I listened to this whole album like, wait, Garth? What? Yes. I just... Yeah, and they both have like that, and I don't remember where John Michael Montgomery's from, but somewhere like Arkansas, maybe, or I'm totally wrong, I could be, but they have like that southern voice, which a lot of people do, but they have a certain like twanginess to it, I don't, I don't know, I, I feel like they were from, picked from the same bunch of strawberries or something, because they, <laughs> I don't know, the same wheat field or something, <laughs> Big from the wow, look at those strawberries, Garth and John Michael. Wow, they're picked from the state, well, same bushel of strawberries. Yes, the same bushel. Thank you. I just feel like they're long lost cousins or something because they sound very, very much similar. And I also think like the songs that they sing are could like they could sing each other's songs, like the style isn't too far off because they can both kill a ballad and they can both sing like 120 words per minute. Yeah, I know. When we get to the end, like where we pick our hidden gems and who would be good for recording some of them, honestly, I'm like, why doesn't Garth just go back on some of John Michael Montgomery's old albums and start recording them? Yes. It, it, it totally fits. It right. does. Uh, but no, I think John Michael Montgomery, he's he's 90s country through and through. Uh, there's so many good songs. I mean, he, he continued making really good songs even until like the mid-2000s. Uh, I think he's mm-hmm. he's had a really good run. Uh, yep. He has his, his son uh, Walker Montgomery. Walker. Yeah, he's a rising country singer, and he's got a really good voice too. But yeah, there's his nephew. I mean, Dylan Carmichael. Yeah. He's out there slaying it. Yeah. So, yeah. It's Montgomery a, family. It's a good family. Troy? Yeah. No, Eddie. 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 Eddie Montgomery. Yeah. Rest in peace. Okay. Yeah. Um, moving on. Uh, so yeah, this was his second studio album. It reached number one on the Billboard 200 for albums, which is pretty remarkable uh, at the time too. Uh, featured three number one hits and a number four. So honestly, short of throwing all number ones up, pretty damn good album. Uh, yeah. it, it featured one of the biggest songs. I would argue his biggest song, one of the biggest songs, honestly, of the 90s of ever, uh, I swear. Uh, it had yes. tremendous crossover appeal when he sang it, and then when All for One ended up covering it and releasing it, that took off. So just a massive, uh, massive, massive hit. I'm right. sure the songwriters are still collecting. They gotta be collecting like a thousand dollars a day off of that. I'm They're doing just fine. Yeah. yeah. I remember though, like thinking, like when that. I guess I didn't realize like the crossover that like another band sang that song. 
because I only really listened to country growing up, but when, like, my friends knew that song or it would be on at, like, school dances or whatever, I was like, wow, John Michael Montgomery, really, like, people listen to country, this is great. And then I realized later in life that a whole other group sang I Swear, and I was like, oh, like, a light bulb went off, and I realized why, like, people that never listened to country in their life knew all the words to that song. And the thing about that part is that if the cover of it sucked, people would like, but it didn't. It, no, and they didn't change much. Like the cover of it just sounds like a boy band, but it doesn't. Yeah. They didn't change much of anything. I don't, that I can tell. No, there's a little bit of different production to it, but honestly yeah. it's, yeah, I think the, the intro of it is a little different. Like the offer ones version when it hits like the, I swear, like you're like, okay, like yeah. here we go. But true. Uh, but yeah, nonetheless, it was one of the mass biggest hits all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. The album was certified platinum four times, so clearly a pretty darn good album. It all right, I would say. Yeah, and so the songwriters, there's a different songwriter on every single song. I don't think there's any overlap for the most part. There's just a crazy such a great collection of songwriters and the songs that they've written for others there's there's songwriters that were writing in the 70s 80s 90s that are on here there's artists or songwriters rather that wrote for john michael montgomery that that was kind of their start and they're still writing hits um for instance let's see here one of the songwriters ed hill he wrote be my baby tonight and he also wrote songs like tracy lawrence's Find out who your friends are. Trace Atkins, you know, songs about me and just fishing. Uh, he wrote Martinez, How Far. So there's, you know, it wasn't just the 80s, 90s. He's continued it. Um, right. And, like, the other co-writer of Be My Baby Tonight was this Richard Fagan, gentleman. And he also wrote um, Sold that like John Michael saying I think it was the next album yeah. so I always thought that was kind of interesting how like both songs are very like kind of like upbeat very fast tempo a lot of words yes. so you can tell like he's very much like the lyric man like he makes everything fit to the beat I think that's like a really we take it so for granted you know that we can like memorize all these words but he had to come up with all those words to put into that song yeah and to be able to pitch it to the right artist too yeah. Not everyone. I mean, I can't imagine like Tim McGraw trying to sing that, right? No, no. And I think like that was the cool thing about John Michael Montgomery. Can I call him like JM or JMM because it's going to take up half the podcast saying his I'm full gonna, name. I'm going to call him J Mike. <laughs> I'll call him John. Anyways, um, I don't know what I was going to say after that. So, anyways, go on. I, we're talking about fast talking oh I know but he could like do these songs like Be My Baby Tonight and Sold which I know isn't on this album but still a good song and then he can like tone it back and do this lovey-dovey like I Swear song it's kind of like I wonder if anyone back in the 90s maybe you'll tell me when you read like an album review was like does John Michael Montgomery have an identity complex like who is he like what direction does he really want to go in I wonder if that was ever like controversial yeah, because he can do everything. Yeah, there's not like a yeah. oh, like oh he's the party anthem guy or he's the love ballad. He's 
Yeah. He's everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Some of the other ones. Uh, oh, where are we? Um, Carson Chamberlain. He wrote George Strait's The Best Day and Billy Currington's Walk a Little Straighter and I Got a Feeling. Uh, Zach Turner is a songwriter on the album. He wrote Watermelon Crawl. Uh, but going back to the song I Swear. So it was written by Gary Baker and Frank Myers. They're both the co-writers on I Swear. And they also wrote Lone Star's I'm Already There. Right. <sighs> so, I mean... Talk about striking gold. But the really interesting thing about them is after they after they wrote I Swear together, you know, won Grammys and this and that, all these awards, they ended up forming a duo for a short time period as like a recording duo. They called themselves really? Baker and Myers. And yeah, they made, oh. I think, an album or two. Um, but I don't think they've made anything since and they kind of went back to just writing hits, but it's like, Oh, like they, they struck gold and they were trying to just, you know, catch lightning in a bottle when they had it. And yeah, anyways, a little fun fact. Was for it, you. And I feel like these two, there's like a story behind this song too. Um, was this the one that was written and, or am I thinking of a song we did maybe last week it was written in like a, a Chinese restaurant. Oh, uh, I didn't Wait, hear that. The right one. I feel like I remember this one, and I'm probably like, I actually don't think I'm wrong. I, I for some reason, like, I'm gonna trust my gut that there was something about one of them. I forget which one had like some sort of an idea, and the other one was driving, I think, up from Arkansas, like back to Tennessee, and they met somewhere at a restaurant. And he's like, "This is the idea I have," and they cranked it out. If it didn't happen with the song, it happened with some song. I swear on my life. All right. So your little homework for the next episode is find out whose story that is. Yeah, I, I'm not even like, I, I, anyways, keep talking. I'm going to find out what I know to be true. Okay. You, you keep doing your digging. Uh, I mean, yeah, just a ton of songwriters on here. Uh, another name that jumps out is Mark D. Sanders. Just a plethora, plethora of number one hits. Uh, George Strait's Blue Clear Sky. Jody Messina's Heads Carolina, Tales California. And then we go another smash by him, Leanne Womack's I Hope You Dance. So, I mean, it's it's like these collect, this collection of songwriters, and there's not really any overlap on this album. Uh, it's just like, dang, you know, there's a... I don't, I don't know how you choose which ones are going to, you know, release as singles, and we'll get to that in a little bit, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... When you have a good cast of songwriters writing great songs, I think you're going to be in great shape for an album. Let's see here. Maybe it wasn't... I don't know. <laughs> Nothing? No, it is, it, it's... I was right about driving up from Arkansas. I think they just went to someone's house... And they had some barbecue chicken. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about right now, but what you're talking about sounds like it could be a country song in and of itself. That's like how the song "I Swear" it came to be. All right, you, you keep looking. I, I, I can't. I can't multitask, so I'm going to focus on this. You know, and if, if uh, only I'll there was if only there was a podcast where we could talk about you know songs like "I Swear," where you could give us, where you give me like the the download on what happened with it. 
okay, but if it's not this song, it's really going to bother me because what am I going to, what am I going to type into Google be like, country song that was written in a Chinese restaurant? Is that really what I'm going to Google? Yeah, maybe I should. All right, well, we know Emily's homework for the next couple of weeks. Uh, <laughs> one other songwriter I'll mention, uh, Doug Johnson. He wrote Three Wooden Crosses and Love Like Crazy. So, a ton of great songwriters on there. Uh, the producer is Mr. Scott Hendricks. And oh, yeah, he's kind of just like crazy, filthy, rich, and like talented and everything he's done. You think he's rich because he's had 116 top 10 songs and 75 <laughs> number ones? Well, like the most recent ones could have like lined his pockets as it is because I think he was a producer on Tequila and God's Country. So there's his career right there. He's good. Like, don't mind the last 30 years of top songs he's had. Exactly. That's what I wanted to say is this guy, Scott Hendricks, he's he's produced songs going back to Alan Jackson's Chasing That Neon Rainbow to Dan and Shay's Tequila. Two mm-hmm. completely different types of artists, songs, mm-hmm. 30 years yeah. apart, and he made them number ones. It's just mind-blowing. Yeah. It, that's, that's so rare. Um, yeah, it's kind of cool, too. Like, and I'm sure he's obviously not, like the only producer, but how they kind of like are, are so flexible and are willing to, you know, they know the sound for the artist. Mm-hmm. Like, he produces tequila a certain way because that's what works for Dan and Shay. And, and he he takes God's country and he makes it, even though you weren't a fan of it when it first came out, he makes it very like Blake Shelton. So I think staying current and like adapting to the changes that people say aren't country, I think that's like what's made him so successful. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defend myself for like 15 seconds here real quickly. Yes. Okay. I didn't, you made a good point because there are some times where I hear a song and it, first listen, second listen, I'm not really digging it. All right. I, yeah. There's notorious. Yeah, it's it's honestly kind of a thing, and maybe it's like a rite of passage. Like if Aaron's not feeling it right away, it, it might be a really good song. Uh, but anywho, uh, yeah, Scott Hendricks, just a main guy in country music in Nashville. Uh, so this album comes out in '94. A year later, he gets hired as president and CEO of Capitol Records. And kind of moved around from the different record labels, still producing, doing just different, all kinds of different things. Always just being, honestly, probably one of the guys you put on country music's Mount Rushmore for the 20, 30 years. So, yeah. Um, yeah, he's, if you say Scott Hendricks was on a song, I think the song or the album is going to turn out pretty good. Yeah, you're a certified, like, number one, at least top five, if anything. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Scott Hendricks, I do want to read a quick story about him or a quote. Um, okay. You know, because he's produced all kinds of different artists. And uh, Michael Ray tells a story that, uh, I guess in an interview, I'm reading off Wikipedia here, so that's where I'm getting it from. Take it for what you want. Say uh, your source. I like it. Right. He says, I'm a better singer for working with Scott Hendricks. He not only is a producer of mine, but he's a great friend and a great guy. But for me, where he shines as a producer is when it comes to vocals. He's like, I always joke with him. In the middle of cutting vocals, I go from loving him to hating him, loving him to hating him. He might say, that was great, but I just didn't believe it. And then when you leave, when you, leave you really know that song. So, yeah. Wow. He's, you know what's actually really funny is because, like, um, 
I'm jumping again, but you said Michael Ray. He's one that I would say could like cover a John Michael Montgomery song. He's one of my artists that I picked. I didn't have a specific song in mind, but I just thought he could probably really cover any of the songs on this album really well. That's an interesting one. I didn't think of him, but you're totally right. He's he's got like the the range and the yeah. He's deepness. got like a deep baritone, yeah. like southern to him that I just I think would really kind of maybe like modernize one of these songs, but still keep like the '90s flair to it. So he was one of my picks. So now that I know he's like they worked with the same producers and like oh, yeah. the connection, it makes sense. Easy, got this. Yeah. We're basically turning into country music matchmakers for songs. I'm totally going to be the next like producer on Songland because yes. I just, yeah <laughs> yeah. Except when the songwriters come on, you're going to be like, okay, that song is going to be good for so and so. We got it. Right. It's a, it's a yeah. whole new show, or like a spinoff. Ooh, I like it. We got yeah. it. Uh, so I found two very short, brief album reviews, quote unquote, according to the experts. We call it. Um, sure. So Michael McCall from All Music gave this album four and a half stars. As the title suggests, John Michael Montgomery kicks up the tempos and reveals a stronger country rock bent. He still leans heavily on contemporary ballads like I Swear and Rope the Moon, but proves just as capable on the brawnier songs. Kicking It Up became a number one album on the pop charts shortly after its release. So that was the first one. Pretty good, right? That was it? That's all? Or did you... No, that's... That? No, that's, that's it. It's literally two or three sentences. I, Is that all I have to do for my future album reviews? <laughs> <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm just kidding. And the other one was from a Brian Mansfield from New Country Magazine. Gave it a three and a half stars. And he says, uh, Kicking it up, Montgomery captures the personality he has spent the last year developing on stage. He praised Montgomery's energy on Friday at 5 and Be My Baby Tonight in particular. So hmm. both very brief, but those are well, the expert reviews, quote, end quote. What, what album did we just do that you couldn't find any reviews to? And you can find two from 1994. I think was it, I think was it Rascal Flatts? Oh, I want to say, yeah, I think I was running. Yeah. I couldn't find it was hard because it was, the album it was, was called yeah. So Flats and they were. Yeah, I think I think it's a little harder. There's like this range from in you know, like the mid 2000s where there's not a lot of reviews of albums I'm finding. But come oh. to the 90s, there were people were not bashful about reviewing albums. So, yeah. All right. Oh, all right. The single, the singles. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ten songs on the album. Releases four singles. I swear goes to number one. Second one, Rope the Moon, went to number four, which is bullshit. Number three, Be My Baby Tonight, went to number one. And then four, uh, If You've Got Love, also went to number one. So, thoughts? So, clearly you like Rope the Moon, and I was kind of like, eh, it's the weak link of the four, but... Uh, I'm ready for you to defend the crap out of it. <laughs> I think so. Here's a here's the the issue I have. Okay, so they he releases I swear right, massive yes. smash hit. It's a ballad. It's a love song. Yes. They come right back to the same thing, and I don't know. Sometimes it works. Right. Like you find your groove, and like this, is, you're going to be a ballad. You're going to be an anthem. You're going to be whatever. And I feel like it just didn't have enough 
separation from I swear to to really stand out because I think when you if you listen to the song in a vacuum you're like holy shit like this is a really really great country ballad love song I honestly it might be my favorite song on the album oh wow yes okay Uh, I mean I don't hate it I'm just I think you're right though there's like an exhaustion to like the back to back songs where what they should have done Again, this is where my producing skills really come in, in handy here. Um, they should have gone the complete opposite way. I think like the only way going back to back works is if it's with two like maybe more upbeat or like semi like upbeat songs. But two ballads back to back, I don't really care who it is. Usually isn't like great. I don't think. I can't even think of a time when like that's happened. So they should have gone completely the other way and done I swear and then be my baby. Yes. Just as, as opposite as it could be. And then I think you're right. Maybe, I mean, it's still got to number four, which is still mm-hmm. pretty, pretty good. I mean, very good, but. Yeah. Yeah, they can make a point. I think sometimes that's the beauty of like mid tempo songs, right? Where it's like, yeah. you know, it's, it's not an anthem, but it's not this ballad. It kind of hits this, this nice, like, little sweet spot where you want to listen to it, but you don't need to be, you know, in absolute love or an absolute heartbreak or chugging beers. Like it's right. kind of this in between thing. So yeah, that was my only issue with the singles is just the order of them. Yeah. But otherwise, uh, there's one other song that wasn't a single that if they would have released five, but I mean, f- four singles and all of them are number one, except the one that goes number four. It, yeah. Good. Uh, did you know, the song no if you've got love it kind of sounded familiar once i listened to it same but not like super familiar that i could really sing along right it was one of those things where when it started playing i didn't know the words but i'm like "Ah, i've i've heard this before And and maybe it's because you know, it's not like another John Michael Montgomery song or it's, it's yeah. him. Maybe that's <laughs> His it. voice is just familiar. But yeah, I don't, when I think of John Michael Montgomery, that's not one of the songs that jumps out to me. No, no. And honestly, Rope the Moon. Yes. I forgot about that one too. But. Like I listened to it, I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. That's of course, like, I got it, I got it. But then like, if I were just to read the song titles, I wouldn't have picked that one out as like one of his singles. Oh, exactly. Like rope the Mo- rope the moon. You at least it sounds familiar. Like you know the song title and whatnot. But the mm-hmm. if you've got love, it just I was like, wow, this really went to number one. And it's a it's a good solid song. I they did a yeah. good job with it. But it's just one of those funny things where it's like, why does why is that number one song not as memorable right. as the others? Right. Exactly. It's, it's a number one song, and like you don't even think of it like maybe maybe I'm just like okay this album came out the year I was born so obviously I'm not like it's old to me (laughs) but there's like certain John Michael Montgomery songs that you just think of when you hear him and Mm -hmm. that if you've got love is not one of them and I don't know why I don't think it's got the hook right yeah like stands time you know like I swear it's still one of those where you hear it, it still sounds like a modern song. And then some of his other ones, like Be My Baby or Sold or um, Life's a Dance, they just have, they sound so unique. Mm-hmm. 
where I don't think if you've got love has that. True. I would agree. And I think that's, that's what makes this album so strong is it definitely has his biggest song with I swear as one of his most recognizable ones, but it also has another one of those be my baby tonight. That's, that's a hit. Like that's one of the, if it's after when you think of John Michael Montgomery, there's probably three or three to five songs you think of. You think of I swear. And honestly, for me, the next one is either be my baby tonight or sold. And those are the first three that jump out. And I don't even think of I swear. That's not my top three. That sounds terrible. I know, but it's not. When you think of John Michael Montgomery, really? I mean, I, sure. Maybe top five, but it, mm, I don't know. It's, it's maybe one of those. I like the song. I don't love the song. Life's a Dance is my number one. Interesting. A different album, so. All right. Interesting. <laughs> Given 94 Sorry a bad name. Rock the boat. Uh, so, release four of the 10 sing four of the 10 songs as singles. Let's, get, let's go to Hidden Gems. If you were to release, you know, you release the album, four singles are absolutely killing it. He's probably working on another album, which we'll get to in a second here. And are you thinking, let's see if we get a fifth one out of here. Is there a song on here that you would have liked to see be released to radio? So, uh, there's two for different reasons. I would say, Oh, how she shines, but he's already kind of like exhausted his like ballads at this point. So I would say no. So I would do another fun one like Friday at five because, because why not? I like that one. I it was either for me, it was either, uh, Friday at five or full time love. Just kind of these upbeat, Mm. punchy kind of songs that, and honestly, this is going to sound so bad, but it's like, hey, for a fifth single, if you, if you just wanted to crack like the top 20, like right. it's it's easier <laughs> to go with that type of song. Until the next album, exactly. essentially. Just say, fill in the space. Yeah. But. Which I think is funny. I don't know. I couldn't tell you the exact days, but like the, the space between the, the songs released, sometimes it's like three and a half to four months and sometimes it's six months that like the singles I was like I always wondered is it based on how well the song's doing or do they just need to say within two years you need four singles and then you can start your next album like I always wonder how that side of the business works so I'm going to try to make an educated guess I'm going to throw some I'm going to throw a dart at the map or wall or whatever analogy Okay. Whatever strawberry patch uh, analogy. Uh, so I, I think. So, okay, so I have the dates here when these singles were released. Okay, so yeah. I swear was released November nineteenth, nineteen ninety three. Okay, in anticipation of the album, Rope the Moon came out in March of ninety four, and then we only go forward two months to May when Be My Baby tonight. And the last one, if you've got love, first came out in September. So, I mean, I. So his team was like, oh shit, this song, Rope the Moon, we need something a little more peppy. Let's get a new song out here. Right. And I think, you know, it's like summer. You need, you yes. need that kind of summer. Ballads during summer are tricky. I, I really, I really do think so. Right. I mean, it's. And I feel like with I swear they really could have like milked that song all the way to like April. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why they needed another, but 
I mean, there, it's, it's money, right? It's it's a business, so. And I think my, a song and, out there. And yeah, and I think the other thing that affects how soon they're released is how soon the songs climb up the charts. You know, there's oh, you know there's some yeah. songs that I mean, Luke Combs could write a song about dirt and in two and a half well, months George did just that actually true. yeah for like Luke Holmes two and a half months it's up there right where yeah. you know other artists it's going to take them especially now there's so many artists and so many songs it might take them six months to you know climb the charts yeah. uh, I know like right and sometimes you know I think it's we're starting to see a little bit more of it now where if a song isn't taken off in the top 40, top 50, top 60, as fast as artists would like, they're pulling it. Um, you know, like Lady Antebellum, they pulled, uh, oh, what song did they release before they, the song, uh, I'll look it up here in a second, but they had a song recently, it was in the top 40, top 30 maybe. It, it might even got really? to the top 20. Uh, and the After, what if I never got over you? Yeah, uh, it was uh, oh, this song about leaving home. Uh, it was one of my favorites, honestly. Oh, I honestly. like that song, What I'm Leaving For? Yes, yes. Uh, let me pull it up here. Oh, because they pulled it for Champagne Night? Right, so What I'm Leaving For went to 39 on the top 40, and they ended up pulling it for Champagne Night, and sure shit, it's at 27 right now. So Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kelsey Ballerini kind of did the same thing the other day. I just heard so back at the end of March, I believe she her she came out with her album in April. I think maybe that's it. March. Anyways, what is time? I have no idea. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. What are days sometimes? <laughs> so she released the other girl with Halsey. She released that to radio, and was not really catching on a whole lot. Um, and I guess I just saw yesterday someone tweeted, they pulled the plug on it and they're sending hole in the bottle to radio. Yes. Just a jam. Good. Yep. Right. And I, I always wonder like how much does streaming help or hurt? So like if you, if an artist releases an album and they find like false positives, you know, Right. So I'm thinking like, okay, Hardy, I'm going to take his album of like the collaborations he did last year. Obviously, uh, one beer was huge, like streaming. So many people streamed it. So he says a single and it's done well as a single. So it was obviously the right choice. Um, even like Chris Lane, um, I don't know about you. The fans kind of picked that one cause they just streamed it all the time. But then what if the people who stream music aren't the ones like me listening to the radio and you have maybe like an older clientele that listens to the radio and they don't dig the songs so you get like two different you know like groups of people using different platforms to listen to their music that's gotta be confusing for like artists and executives and all these people to know like what's gonna do well where does that make any sense? No, totally. Because we're oh. talking, we're talking, no, we're totally. We're talking about okay. John Michael Montgomery's album from 1994, right? In 1994, there was no YouTube, no Spotify, no Apple. I mean, right. I, was Apple even around? Like they were probably busting out their first yeah, it was just computer. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it was the only way to make money. The only way to get discovered and really get played was on radio where now. Yes. It's different, but mm-hmm. 
in, in the sense of commercializing and making money off of it, radio is still king by yep. a pretty large margin. You know, the streamings yeah. are getting there until that, you know, there's all kinds of deals with songwriters and stuff trying to get a larger cut. So, yeah, you make a good point that there's nowadays there's, in a sense, two different audiences. There is a huge overlap. But some are better streaming. Some are better on radio. I mean, it's yeah. it's weird. It is. It is weird. Yeah, well, yeah you Agreed. said sometimes the streaming numbers might be a false positive as far as what is actually going to be a, a hit song on radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I think maybe, like you said, with Kelsey might have been the case. Mm-hmm. There was, like, initial reaction to that song, and then uh, maybe not. Maybe people don't want to listen to Halsey on their country radio. So Right. Exactly. That was a deep detour from John Michael Montgomery to Halsey, so that was fun. Uh. Yeah, dropping Halsey on a John Michael Montgomery podcast. <laughs> uh, so the other hidden gem you mentioned was Oh How She Shines, and I'm sure like you, yeah. you'd never heard the song. I'd never. No. So when I saw the song title, I'm like, oh, interesting. Listen to it. Was reading the lyrics. And this, there should just be like a GoPro on me when I'm like reading lyrics and listening. And I'm like, oh, wait, is he going to wait? What's going on? Like, is this one of yeah. these songs? And it's like, it's a very cleverly written story. Yeah. It is. It would have done really well. I think maybe, maybe not on this album and a different album where it could have maybe shined more, but um, between this one and even this, I didn't dislike the title track as much as I thought I would. I, I did it. I pulled an Aaron and like the first time I listened to kicking it up, I'm like, this is like the title track. I thought it was way too slow for a song called kicking it up. And then I listened to it again and it kind of grew on me. So the, I like that one. It could have been, a, it could have been a good single, but I understand why it was not. Yeah. Agreed. I think the, the trippy thing for me is, the song is called Kick It Up, and the album's called Kickin' It Up, right? Oh, shit, is it really? Yeah, they're, they're, they're too different. Unless I've, unless I've been... No, I think you're... What? Right? Are you seeing the same I, thing I'm seeing? How many fingers am I holding up? Just kidding. Yeah, you're right. Why would they do that? I thought, I thought about that, because... I mean, I think it's a poor decision not to keep them the same, but... I get that, you know, for the album, it's like kicking it up is more, uh, you know, kick it up it's is like more. like those OCD people where like one thing is out of line and it just messes up the whole thing. This is actually going to bother me now. Yeah, it's 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 kind of trippy. I, as I was typing out my notes, I kept flipping them and <laughs> I, I yeah. get it though. Because like kick it up is more of like, it's, it's more active description where kicking it up, I can see where kicking it up you know, is maybe more of a better umbrella for a project, but they're so close together that I don't think they should have done it. But I mean, the album, yeah. was, the album was very successful and kick it up was never released as a single. So, but it's just one of those, I don't think I'm very OCD, but I saw that and I'm like, <laughs> something's not right here. How many times when you like looked at this album, did you say kick the dust up? <laughs> Because I did it all the time. Not not till now. <laughs> no. no. That's all I could think about was like with Brian's song, which I do not like. It was just like, kick the dirt. Is it kick the dirt or kick the dust up? I think it's kick the dust. I think it's dust, yeah. Yeah, but that's that's all I really thought about. When you're like, let's review this album. I'm like, 
did Luke Bryan remake a John Michael Montgomery song? Like, what? But that's not the case. No. Uh, so Matchmaker, we hinted around it a little bit. At the top, we, we talked about how similar his voice is to Garth. So that would yes. be, you could be like, Garth, you know, close your eyes and point to one of the songs you want to record. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Michael Ray. So tell me, is there a Michael? Is there a song that you'd want from Michael Ray? Or what other artist do you think would be a good fit for John Michael Montgomery's song? Yeah, I, there wasn't a particular song. It was just kind of the same thing with, with Garth Brooks as I was listening. I'm like, okay, I feel like the style... Um, sometimes Michael Ray does these really like old, really old school like nineties like songs, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which is like the music he kind of grew up with. But I have a few, and then I'll end with like my big kicker here. Um, I thought Blake Shelton would be fabulous at Friday at Five. Interesting, because it just seems like it's kind of like yeah, that's what Blake would be doing at five o'clock on a Friday. Um, Full time love, I thought hinted at like. Tim McGraw, mm. like 90s Tim McGraw. And I, then I think, I know that I Swear was redone by like this pop boy band, but I oh. want Hillary and Charles from Lady A to take it on, and I want Ooh. like the woman harmonies on that song. Wow. So we're, we're going with a third recording a second cover of I Swear. Yeah, because then it's really like a love song and they're like swearing to each other, you know, mm. while they're singing it. And I think that would be really interesting. I, I never even thought of that. That would be, that was the most obvious thing looking at me, right, is that <laughs> Smash It already covered, let's cover it again. Yeah, but how do you make it different? Like you bring a woman's voice into it, and you're always yeah. saying like you love the yeah. the woman man harmonies, and I think they're just like the pros at this point in country music. So I would trust them with the song. Uh, part of me wonders if they if they've already covered it like in concert. I'm gonna have to look at that after the <laughs> after this because maybe they maybe. should. Uh any other artists that jump out to you that could do John Mike, J Mike, mm. good? <laughs> J Mike. Those are my top ones that came to mind. Um, I didn't think too hard about it, but um, also, I guess now that I'm talking about it, like Neil McCoy maybe could do like some mm, of his yeah. more fun, upbeat songs like Be My Baby. Um, but, but that's about all I have. What do you have? I want to throw a couple names out at you. Uh, okay. Justin Moore is one that jumped out to me. Uh, he's, I think he's just underrated under the radar guy. And he just, he, yes. he cranks out hits all the time. Uh, and I like his style. I feel like his style is pretty similar to J Mike's, you know, other than like the, the fast, you know, solds and that kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, Randy Hauser. I just love Randy Hauser's voice. Mm-hmm. He's so good. Again, I don't know what song for Randy Hauser. Um, then I, I had Justin Moore or John Party on Full Time Love. Oh, John Party. John Party was one that just jumped out to me. Like, yeah, he's got this throwback he vibe to him, but he's still he he's still very peppy and he makes <laughs> he makes it fun, you know. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think I think he could do justice to some of these. Uh, mid-tempo to up-tempo songs. Um, yeah. No, you're right. Like, honestly, if, if 
if J. Mike, as we're calling him, would would pull like a, a Brooks and Dunn and reboot this album, John Party is definitely one that I could Has see taking be. a song and, and updating it, but yet not taking away its like authentic '90s vibe. Right. Uh, I mean, we throw out Luke Combs all the time, so I won't say him, but. Uh, another guy, the last guy I have on the list here, the song, Oh, how she shines. I would love, and maybe it's not the right song. Maybe it's just the artist. I would love Chris young to try to take on one of these ballads. He has like this, he has this like haunting sound to him. And I, I don't know. That was just one that jumped out to me. Like I, I, Chris Young covering a John Michael Montgomery, I think, I think would work really well. I don't know. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. Um, I'm gonna take like that. I'm gonna take what you. I'm gonna take what you just said and splice it up. And anytime we're debating something, I'm just gonna send that to you. Wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> um. No, don't do that. I am gonna compliment you like once a podcast. So don't get it in your head too much. All right, cool. Um, I think we could put like Cody Cody Johnson or like some ah, other yeah. Texas singers in there. If you put like, would Granger work well in one of these songs? I don't know. Maybe Granger. Yeah. I and like, <sighs> hmm. Granger, Granger would, be- would go, I like the faster songs. And I'm like going outside the album, but like I could hear him on Unsold or, or something like True. that. Granger's a good one. I don't know why I never thought of him. That that's probably he's not a a direct comparison to John Michael Montgomery, but that that would be one. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, a lot of good snippets we got here complimenting yeah, right? each other. This was well done. Yeah, we're due for some insults here, so uh, <laughs> You idiot. Let's, yeah. Hey, you clown. Let's see what we got here for the metal stand. So, uh, John Michael Montgomery, I mean, I'll be the first to admit I haven't listened to every single one of his albums, but uh, I did listen to a good chunk of enough of them. Uh, when it comes to the metal stand for John Michael Montgomery's career, where does this album go on the podium? Because it's definitely making the podium. Yes, and I I don't know his albums. I'm going to put that out there. I know his singles, so that's what I'm going to base it off of. But can you tell me why his first one, his first album, isn't on Spotify? I can't. I, I really can't. Yeah, I don't have an answer for you. Um, okay. So like I, was, I mentioned earlier, um, Life's a Dance, probably one of my favorite John Michael Montgomery songs ever. Mm-hmm. So I would, that was from his first album. I would put that one on the metal stand. And then, um, again, just when it comes to, oh, oh, sorry, I was just looking and I realized Hold On To Me is on a different album. Okay, okay, I'm going to be, make quick decisions here. Um, his album his self-titled album, John Michael Montgomery, that came after this one. Yeah. I think, again, just based off the singles, I Can Love You Like That and Sold, I would put that as number one. Kicking It Up would be two or silver. And then his very first album, forgive me, I don't know the title of it, but the one that has um, 
you know, that song is my favorite song. Life's a Dance. Life's a Dance. Thank you. Yeah, that's what the album's called. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I put that as three because honestly, that'd be the only. I would. I would. Give me a greatest hits album. How about that? Can his greatest hits album be like the gold medal stamps? Uh, yeah, I guess it. I guess it definitely could. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, for me. So I, you know, I listened to this album all the way through, and I'm like. This is yeah. is solid. It's good. It's really good. Like you look at the success of it, three number ones and a number four. And I'm like, okay, right. that's tough to beat. Then I look at his next one, right? And I I think it really comes down to these two. It comes down to kicking it up, and it comes down to a self titled uh, J Mike album, right? Uh, yeah. The singles on John Michael Montgomery, I can love you like that went to one. Sold went to one. No Man's Land went to three. Cowboy Love went to four, and Long As I Live went to four. I'm going to be honest. The last three, I don't, I don't, I, I w- would not be able to sing it back to you right now, right? So right. I went and I listened to the album, and honestly, the first half, I was already like, man, I think this is better. And then, really? and then the last, the last three songs I just mentioned that were. Uh, number three and two number fours they're towards the end of the album mm-hmm. and I'm like these are really good songs like this is tough but then I go back to okay Kicking It Up has I Swear the massive one right and Be My Baby Tonight right. just two massives I think it's really hard um, honestly probably if this is so tricky I Tricky, tricky, tricky. I think. I mean, it's all personal. Like whatever you would listen to most. Right, and I think I, I personally, I would give "Kicking It Up" the slight edge, just yeah. because of I swear, I love "Rope the Moon," uh, "Be My Baby Tonight." <laughs> um, so I know those three singles uh, and just the the massiveness of it, but. I think right. I think if you're looking from start to finish, just the better quality of songs, and there's definitely, I mean, there's five top five hits on his self-titled album. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's so close. It is literally Lee Zach chasing down the, oh, the Germans or the French. Yikes. Yeah. So. Oh wow! You know what though? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna put his. He only has one greatest hits album, and that came out in 1997. Crazy, first of all. But mm-hmm. I'll take that one because it has sold. It has roped the moon. I love the way you love me. <laughs> Cowboy love. No, that's uh, no. I can love you like that. Be my baby tonight. I swear, life's a dance. Okay, that's it. His greatest hits album. No. For me, for someone who like hasn't Joe's died, who hasn't spent much time in like non-singles from J. Mike Aaron take all his greatest hits because there's a reason it's called greatest hits this is the equivalent of oh let's rank all the top NBA teams of all time and you're like give me the dream team team." (laughs) that's not fair (laughs) but there's no rules in these in these podcasts so I'll, I'll let it slide okay good Thank you. Uh, so we both give it gold, silver. We agree it's either one or two. It's uh, a great album. It's so good. really great. So mm-hmm. good. And his, his sound is, 
And that's what I love sometimes about like these nineties artists is that we hear so much music nowadays. Every Friday there's 20 to 40 new songs and a lot of them are really good and catchy. But at the same time, we kind of miss that, the sound and the richness of nineties country. So it's right. It's It's just, just, it's comforting to like hear a familiar voice. Like a song comes on and I might've never heard the song. We're like, Oh yeah. Sounds like Mm -hmm. uh, John Michael Montgomery. It's it's fun to listen to new music, but then also like go back and be like, Oh, I know who that is. Thank goodness. Exactly. Uh, final thoughts. Um, I guess for me, and I'll let you wrap it up. Uh, he sounds like Garth. Garth sounds like him. I don't know. I don't know how fans really distinguish between the two, just hearing new songs on the radio, but, uh, yeah. he's, he's one of the Kings of nineties country. He, he is. And he's not necessarily lumped in with the likes of Garth and George and Alan, but he definitely belongs there. Uh, this album, right? this album, I swear, massive hit be my baby tonight. Just such an identifiable song. I love Rope the Moon. There's honestly, there's not a bad song on this entire album. I think that's what makes it really great. There's not one that you're being like, oh, that seems different than the others. It's just a really good one. And it was a sophomore album and continued the momentum from his first. And like he became a star based off these songs. Like, uh, I don't think we understand that fully because we were either like not alive or (laughs) could barely talk when he was in his heyday. So I don't think we realized, and also I don't think we realized like the star that like Garth was and how hard that was to like exceed. So I think, I think with J Mike is like, he, he stayed who he was, like the songs and like the product he put out there didn't really change from like, his first album to uh, Letters from Home, like that song mm-hmm. was my early 2000s. Yeah. So I think, I think, and I wish he would still put out more music. I think fans would still totally. relate or listen to it. Yeah, he's, he's definitely one that whenever we're allowed to go to concerts again, I want to see yeah. him at some venue. I really do. He's, and he, it's kind of like the Phil Vassar thing. I mean, he's bigger than Phil, I'd argue. Um, but, Not in my world, but I understand. True, what you mean. right? Yeah, for outside of our world. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. But he's he's just one of those that I gotta hear. His music's so good. This album was so good. But yeah, yeah. sweet. This was a fun one. It was. Uh, pressure's on you to a pick out the next album. To, I already got it. Don't worry, we're good. Do you want to tease it? Ooh. Do I? Actually, I shouldn't say that I have it. I have it between two albums, back to back. Okay, don't don't Mister, tease it. Oh, I'll, okay. Oh, okay, Mister. Mister, <laughs> it's a male. So. Uh, let me guess, uh, Mister Church. No, we've done an Eric Church. This is uh, Mister Caribbean Beach Boy himself. So, stay tuned. It'll be one of. Uh, his massive albums. I just need to decide which one I want to go with and we'll talk about that next week. Uh, okay. Is it, which one is it? Is it, cause I'm assuming one of them is when the sun goes down, right? It's, yes. Or no shoes, no shirt, no problem. Ooh, yeah, that's tough. It's very tough. So you see my dilemma. If you uh, have any input, I'm all ears, but yeah, it's, they're both wonderful. I do like one more than the other, but sometimes I try to lean towards the one I don't like. 
True. More. So we'll see. All right. So you have your marching orders. Pick between the two. And secondly, figure out whoever wrote this song from a Mexican restaurant in Arkansas, whatever. It was an Asian restaurant. And also, by the way, it's really funny when you put, like, what country song was written in an Asian restaurant because there's a song called Chinese Food. <laughs> so there's that. That's the whole I've gone down on this podcast. Wow. Teaser alert for next week. Uh, <laughs> well, this has been fun. This album is fun. It's good. It's great. Country music. Love it. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, hit the subscribe button if you aren't already. Find us on iTunes and Spotify. We're on all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're not on TikTok yet. Probably never going to be. And never will be. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, stay tuned. And as always, you can find us on raisedonablog.com. Take care, folks. Bye.